worship this morning because we have so much to worship our great God for. In Colossians 3, it says, You have been raised to life with Christ. Now set your heart on what is in heaven, where Christ rules at God's right side. Let the message about Christ completely fill your lives, and whatever you say or do should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we want to start this morning with the song, Center My Life. Here we go. the sound. 
love, and it never runs out, it never gives up. It is awesome and amazing as you are. There's nothing that you cannot do. We just thank you so much for all that you've done, that you gave your son, you gave your life to pay for ours. There's just nothing more that you could do to show your great love. And I pray that we would turn our eyes to you, that we would center our lives on your name and live for you, knowing that you give us the power to do that. And I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and everything this morning, that we would look to you because we need you desperately. And I pray that we would just see you this morning even better than we have before. We just pray this in your name. Amen. You guys can please take a seat. Setting off, it's time to go, the engine's running, my mind's lost, we always knew this day was coming, and now it's more frightening than it's ever gonna be. Grow apart, watch you on a red horizon, your lion's heart. We'll protect you under stormy skies and I will always be listening for your laughter and your tears and as soon as I can hold you once again I won't let go of you I swear we live through scars this time but I've made up my mind We can't leave us behind Anymore Your hands are cold Your lips are turning blue You're shaking This fragile heart So heavy in my chest is breaking Try to make a payphone call to me. But you're miles away. You're breaking up. You're on your own. It's hard to take. I need an hour just to say hello. And to make the truth of this work out for you and me. Second, just to speak. We live through scars this time, but I've made up my mind. We can't leave us behind 
a series that uh, we're calling Game of Thrones, His versus Her. And when it's His versus Her, the opportunities for you to leave a scar in each other's lives are high. You do it because you're up close and personal with this person that you know really well. The song was kind of hopeful in that they were trying to find a way to get past that. And I'm hoping this morning that as we help you understand how these scars are left, that you'll be able to step back and go, maybe there is a way past this. Sometimes it doesn't feel like there is because you so are so up close and personal with somebody that the scar keeps getting hit over and over and over and it becomes deeper and wider and you're not sure how you're ever going to get past that. Now, fortunately, uh, many of the conflicts that we have don't register at that level. Even some of the intense ones don't necessarily leave scars. But there's a whole other batch of them that happen in our lives that are just petty. And we know they're petty. We laugh about them because they're so funny, right? And you can see yourself in them, and they have the seeds of, oh, man, we have a little bit of conflict here with each other. But those aren't the kind of things we're talking about. You might identify and laugh at stuff that you might see in this video. See if you recognize yourself in any of these things. What are you doing? Drying my hands? Those are the decorative towels. You can't use them. Why? Because they're decorative. Then why are they out? Because they're decorative. That's literally the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That is disgusting. Can you please go do it in the bathroom? Why? I don't want to miss the dessert round. No, you do this all the time, and I'm constantly finding people I don't know where that went. How wonderful life is. Now you're in my world. My no, world. It's no, it my is, world. No, it is the world. Close all the way. Close all the way. Close all the way. Isn't that nice? Don't give him that. His stomach can't handle it. He'll get sick. Oh, he's a cat. He's fine. Told you. Shut up. Did you take a life here? No. I'll be fine. Told ya. Shut up. You know where I saw this earlier? The bathtub. Oh yeah, I needed to scrub it. Yeah, but I just found it in the sink. I needed to do dishes after. What? It touched soap. If it touched soap, that means it's clean. You can't just make up your own rules to suit you as we play the game. Well, stop taking the fun out of it then. I'm not taking the fun out of it. What takes the fun out of it is when you cheat. Go grab my pizza. You left the toilet seat up. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Just put it down. <laughs> oh, stay with it. We're not made of money, you know. Cause lights are money. Because lights are money. I'm that guy. Right? 
And I heard you laughing because this stuff is funny. We do this with each other. We pick on each other, all these little things. But what I want to talk to you about today is winter. What happens when winter comes to the relationship? It's the kind of argument that when you get into it, things are frosty afterwards for a long time sometimes. You can go a week, a month, having let that conversation kind of chill the relationship. It's not, it's not a small, petty thing where you're just kind of picking at each other. It's a big thing to you. And it leaves you the opportunity to put a scar in somebody else's life. It's just hanging there. And how you choose to deal with it either opens you up to leave scars or not. This morning, I want to take um, three different sources to help us kind of understand how to work our way through this. I'm, I'm going to use the scriptures as a base. We got to build a foundation. There's some stuff that said that we have to know that kind of shaped the whole conversation. It doesn't give us every step. It doesn't tell us all the things to do. But without that, the rest of it doesn't matter. I'm going to take some stuff from a guy called Joseph Grenny. Heard him talk, and I was like, that's brilliant. I heard a marriage researcher by the name of John Gottman talk, and I thought, why don't those two ideas get presented together? They belong together. And so I'm going to do that this morning, and I hope it makes sense. Um, it might not. You could get to the end of this and go, man, I can never get that hour back. But at least we're going to try. We're going to try to find a way to go somewhere that's useful. Uh, because winter is coming. That's the phrase that they use in the Game of Thrones. And when they use it in that TV series... Um, what they're saying is, listen, there's a season that's going to come where the White Walkers are going to attack. They're going to cross this wall. They're going to come into Westeros, and they're going to try to take over everything. They will bring death, destruction to us, and we have to be ready. There's um, all kinds of scenes. You can go out and find clips, montage clips, where person after person keeps looking at the other person going, winter is coming. And they're saying that because... We need to be unified. We need to be on the same page and ready when this happens. Because if we're not organized, they'll destroy us. And I'd like to suggest to you this morning that there are kinds of arguments that happen in your relationship that are just like that. What God had in mind for marriage was that you would be unified, that you would be one. But winter comes and the conflict is difficult, and it has the chance to destroy the unity and the oneness that God had in mind in the first place, and it could destroy your whole relationship. I want to start by defining what winter might just look like, and I'm going to use a triangle to do that. We're going to put that up on the screen. It's got three sides so that you can, you can start to understand, oh, this is, this is winter. When winter shows up, the stakes are high. This is something that you care deeply about, and likely the other person does too. So the stakes are really high. There's strong emotions involved. The stakes are high, so you feel strongly about it. So does the other person. And then the icing on top of that is that there's going to be likely opposing opinions. And you know it. You know it. Maybe it's an idea that you have about the way you think your marriage should go. And so you have this idea that you've held on to, and you know if you talk about it, 
it's going to cause some conflict. It's going to be difficult. Or, or maybe there's a season where you're so stressed at work or there's something that comes from the outside that makes what you're doing feel high stakes. There's high stressor moments in relationships. When you move, everything's on edge and um, different things like that. A new job. When you're on edge and stuff feels like high stakes to you and everything's on edge. And there's a moment when you'd start to have an argument or a discussion where things could go bad if this doesn't go well. We, uh, we went to a couple in our church and we said, have you ever had a conflict that's had that kind of stuff in it? And I love how they start. They start going, eh, I'm not so sure. And then the conversation turns. Watch this. My name is Ernie Miller. Uh, we've been married 48 years. I'm Sandy Miller. Ernie was going to say too many years. <laughs> uh, I, I, don't, I don't remember too many reoccurring things. So. I do. <laughs> I remember that your mom and dad wanted you to live with them after we were married. <laughs> they always wanted him to come, and they called, and they called often. <laughs> My mom and dad didn't live close. His was just, they built us a house, two houses down from them. So they came in whenever they wanted to because they had the keys to the house. <laughs> and so it was, it was tense at times, but no, no, we finally got out, bought another house and we were okay. <laughs> once, we, once we finally got out on our own, it was really good. It just had to be done. If it, if it, if it, wasn't, if it hadn't been done, we wouldn't be together today, probably. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things. You either do it or you you end up in a divorce. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's what it amounts to. And you don't want to end up in a divorce. You know, it's just not what you're supposed to do. Uh, well, a lot of conflicts did come up during the time that they were walking in the house. And, uh, but I think, I think the fact that he was willing to go buy another house and, and get out of it really made a big difference. I think that's when we finally became a family as opposed to his family and me. I felt like the outsider in that whole thing. Well, it started out my mom and dad really didn't like her very well, and it ended up they both liked her. In the end, I mean, she, she did everything for my mom. Yeah, she didn't have a daughter that would do those things for us, so somebody had to, and so I, bit the bullet and went, went in and took care of her and, and uh, quit her job and took care of my mother. I, we, we went, came a long way. You it would not up, believe how far it we ended came. Up being really good. Yeah. Started yeah. Out good. Oh, but it started out bad. <laughs> yeah, well, we laugh a lot. We, we, uh, we just try to enjoy each other. We do a lot of things together. We're, we're, we get along pretty good considering neither one of us are really with each other. He <laughs> likes to sit around and read books, and I like cars and racing. And I'm organized, and but he's a perfectionist, so that that's, makes a big difference, too. That helps. Well, I think getting over those minor conflicts is easier if you know it's going to get better, but nobody ever knows it's going to get better. But I can tell people it does. After about 35 to 40 years, you get to be so much alike, and you have a lot of fun then. 
I wouldn't give it up for anything. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't give up those conflicts in order to get here. They had the keys to come in the house anytime they want. <laughs> That's not high stakes. I don't know what is, right? It's that kind of thing we're talking about. Maybe you can identify it because it's the conversation that you've had 50 times. And, and so you're frustrated by that and you've been upset by that and you keep having that conversation and you're wondering if you're going to ever get through it. It's the kind of stuff, it's like um, one wants to adopt and the other one doesn't. And how do you find your way through that. One wants to quit their job because they don't feel satisfied, and the other one wants to keep the job because it gives them financial security. And to lose that without a plan doesn't seem to make sense. One has a desire to discipline the kids a certain way, and the other one has a different thought about how to do that, and you haven't found a way to figure it out yet. One wants to spend money or save money in this way, and one wants to um, save money or not save money and do something else, and you haven't found a way to have a conversation to get past that. And after every one of those, it turns frosty. Stuff gets tense. How tense was it with theirs? He used the D word, right? Like if we don't do something about this, it's going to lead to pain and scars and separation in our relationship. And these kind of high-stakes things enter into our relationships all the time. And here's the problem. You have two choices. You'll either talk it out or you'll act it out. Those are it. You'll talk it out or you'll act it out. And what's frustrating about that is you probably have thought to yourself, I have tried to talk it out. It doesn't get anywhere. And so I've chosen instead to talk it out. I'm just going to do some other things that don't require talking. I'm going to be the martyr. You ever done that? I'll take one for the team. And I'm getting ready to teach on this, right? I sent a text to my wife this morning. And after I had sent it, God <laughs> whispered, oh, you're playing a martyr. I was like, oh, my word, I just did. Like, it's so easy to do. I'm going to whine and complain, but, but say, I'm taking one for the team. Or you decide not to talk about it, and you stuff it in there. You stuffers, you know who you are, right? Works out really well, doesn't it? Till it blows up down the road, right? Some of you are savers. You're not going to bring it up and talk about it now, but you are going to put it right here off to the side. And when the time comes, you will bring it up again. And, and you're going to go for it. And so you haven't thought, there's not much value in talking. This talking doesn't solve the problem. But I'm telling you right now, acting it out is worse. It changes your attitude towards each other. It starts to separate your spirit from the other person. You start to give your focus and attention to that thing. You start to become bitter and angry at the core of who you are. And you start doing things that you don't even know why you're doing them. And you're doing it because you're acting it out. Because you haven't had the ability to talk out this high stakes problem that's entered your relationship. How do you find a way to talk it out? 
What does that look like? I want to start uh, by suggesting that there's a that there's a way God wants us to respond to each other that almost seems impossible in these situations. But I want to show you um, what he said, uh, Paul's writing. He's writing to a church about how to have conversations with people. This is what I find fascinating. This is um, Colossians verse 6 of chapter 4. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now listen, he's talking to a church about how to have a conversation with people who are outside the church and are strangers. They don't know them. They don't know all the stuff that's going on in their lives. And and what he's saying is, listen, when you have that conversation, I want your conversation to be full of grace and seasoned with salt. And the question is, why can't we do that with the people that we love and care about? Why isn't our conversation full of grace and seasoned with salt? Because I want what I want, and they are in the way of what I want. And what I happen to want in this moment is important to me. It's big. And I've got to fight for that. And if I have to leave scars in the process, then so be it. And instead of having these relationships that God had in mind that would produce oneness and unity, we wind up with something else. So how do we get to this? How do we get to a place where our conversations, even the hard ones, are full of grace and seasoned with salt? Well, to get there, um, we're going to start building. We're going to build a little bit of a foundation. I want to take you back to a verse that we used week one of this series. And um, in week one, uh, we read... Genesis 1.27, it said, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And what we focused on was that when God created us, he created us in his image. He made mankind, male and female. And what, what we talked about that was that God created equals. Equal in destiny, equal in dignity, equal in respect. We were made equal in God's eyes because we're both carriers of the image of God. And so it was important to figure out how in the world we would treat each other. But even though God had created us as equals, he created us differently. And so that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at something that's the other truth that's in this verse. The other truth in this verse says God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And then it says again, he created them. And I want to spend some time thinking about what God was doing when he created us. Uh, David is writing a psalm, Psalm 139, where um, he's been inspired by God to write some words about his creation. And this is what he says about you and me. This is verse 13 of 139. He says, For you, are cre- uh, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. What what was God doing when he created your inmost being? I mean, when you think of that, are you thinking, hey, this is about ligaments and joints. This is about the organs that God gave us. This is about him putting it all together. It's amazing, all the neural connections that your body has. And it's incredible when you think about what God did, how God shaped you, how God made you. 
But maybe there's more to it than that. I love, um, I'm going to read verse 14. I could go on further. There's more that's said here. But in verse 14 it says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful for me. I know them full well. David says, listen, when I think about what God did by creating me in the inmost being, I think I was fearfully and wonderfully made, and I want to know what that whole process was like. Because I think there's more that went on there than just the body that you have that's incredible. Let's think about this. Do you remember choosing your personality, or some of you, the lack thereof, right? I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest, right? But you, you didn't choose that. That, that happened. You, you came out with that. Do, do you remember choosing what family you would be in? Did you choose what country you would be born in, what state you would be born in? Did you have any influence over that? Because that is going to shape a lot of who you are. Did you choose at all what your love language was? I mean, when they were sending you home, did they ask your parents, hey, what love language do you want this baby to have? Do you want words of affirmation? Would you rather have physical touch? What is it? What sounds good to you? Or, or is that something that you've ended up with? Did you choose your natural gifting? Like, like the stuff that comes out of you that people look at and say, I could never do that. That's so incredible. How are you pulling that off? Did you choose your emotional capacity? Maybe you're a very emotional person. Did you, did you say, I want it to be that kind of person? I was really, was really hoping for that. Or maybe you're not. All of these things, I think, were placed in us by God. They make us unique. In fact, you'll, you'll have friends, people say to you, you should just be you. Where did you come from? See, if you could grant that where you came from happened because God knit you together in the womb in a unique way, and your life now is an attempt to express that person that God always intended you to be. If, if you could understand yourself as that, you could think, wow, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and it's more than just my body. God had a lot of design, a lot of thought that he put into me, and I am a unique person. And I would say you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so is the person that you're married to. Marriage researchers have been... Um, looking at the kind of conflicts that people have in these relationships. And they've lumped them into two categories. So one category uh, they would call a solvable relationship or a solvable uh, conflict. It's a situation happens. I forget to take out the trash. I'm confronted about that situation, and it's just about taking out the trash. That's all it is. 
You said you take out the trash. You didn't take out the trash. Why didn't you take out the trash? You realize, I forgot. And this is why I forgot. I was busy that day. And so then you say, hey, on days when I have to go in early and I'm busy, would you take out the trash instead? And you come up with a compromise. Or you set an alarm earlier so that you can get up to remember to do that. But you solve the problem with some sort of compromise, and then it's gone. It's wiped out. It's gone out of the relationship. It's one type. But there's a second kind of problem that relationships deal with. By the way, I think these happen in all relationships. They just happen to um, show up in marriages more, feels like more, because we're up close and personal, kind of rubbing against each other. And these are more difficult. Here's what this problem brings. It's high stakes, right? Strong emotions, opposing opinions, and they symbolize something greater in the relationship than what the argument is about. See, this time we're going to have a discussion about the trash that you've forgotten to take out 50 times now. And instead of us having a discussion about solving, taking out the trash, what I want to talk to you is about how I can't trust what you say. Ooh, trust, that's a big one, right? Now you're talking about something bigger. You're, you're talking about the security that you give me or don't give me. You talk about an insecurity that you keep ignoring in me and you keep doing that and it only makes me feel worse. You talk about respect. Something has happened that represents something bigger. And now that's hitting the fan. And you're wondering, what in the world do I do with this? You know what the researchers call this problem? <laughs> Not cool. They call it perpetual. It's a perpetual problem. It's something that keeps reoccurring over and over in the relationship. In fact, here's what they've found. Many of these perpetual problems mean that you will have that discussion in your relationship for the rest of your lives. What? I didn't sign up for that, right? Yeah, you did. You did. Because where do these perpetual problems come from? They come from deep-rooted differences that we have from each other. And you know where those deep-rooted differences come from? God made you fearfully and wonderfully, and he did so with them too, and he just did it different. <laughs> And their difference rubs up against your difference. And now all of a sudden, when you demand that this person change, what you're asking them to change is maybe their personality. You're asking them to no longer be who they were made to be. You're going against God's design. And, and they might want to change. They might try to change but they can't because God shaped them a certain way. And so it keeps coming out and you keep being frustrated and the fight goes and it builds and builds and builds. And it's heated and it's contentious and it's important to both of you and you can't seem to find a way to resolve it. You know what's, um, wow, it's fascinating. They have figured out that there's percentages for these two types of conflicts. 
We'll, we'll put them up on the screen, and I want you to take a wild guess. I'd, l- I'd let you have a table talk, but I'm already going to be late, okay? So I want you to just try in your mind, figure out which percentage is solvable, which percentage is perpetual that you find in your relationship. What's solvable, what's perpetual? Got a number in mind? Let's put up the answer. Bummer. Right? I've, I've done this in marital counseling a whole bunch. Uh, I've only had a couple people ever get close to the right percentages. Almost always it's reversed. People are almost always convinced that it's solvable. And the problem is that dirt bag who's not solving the problem. Right? This is solvable if they would just get their act together. Then this, this could get wiped out of our relationship. And I don't understand why they're not changing and part of it is because sometimes what you're asking them to change is so deep rooted in them it's not going to go away we've been making a joke i've told you the last few weeks about how my wife has it her dna that she's going to be late to stuff and deep in my dna is to be early to stuff and we will have that for the rest of our lives The question is, when that conflict comes into our relationship, do we let that become something that frosts over the whole relationship and skews it and damages us and we leave scars with each other? Or is there a different way to respond to each other so that we're not causing harm? Is there there a way to say, okay, I get it. God created you with some differences. He created me with some differences. And for whatever reason, he thought that it was wise for the two of us to be together. So let's figure out what it would take to do this well. Because here's the deal. You're either going to talk it out or you're going to act it out. You, um, you know what I love? in that little clip with Ernie, they could have talked it out, and what was, what was his choices? I, I want to, you to divorce your parents, and I don't want to have your parents around anymore, right? Or they could move, and so they moved. You, you either talk stuff out and come up with a solution, some solution, or you act it out. A bitterness will start, an anger will start, And these things that are deeply important to us end up dividing us. So here's what I'm going to suggest to you. I'm going to give you seven things that when you run into winter, when when the thing comes into your relationship that could cause a chill, and you know it, you know it. Tracy and I um, finally identified these things because we could catch ourselves starting the conversations like this. (laughs) We, We would start by saying, I know what you're going to say. I know what I'm going to say. It doesn't ever get solved, but I'm so upset right now, we're going to talk about it again anyway. Right? It was such a hopeful start to the conversation. Right? That was a sign that, hey, this is, this is one of those winners. This is one of those high-stake things, and we've got to start coming at this differently. So let me give you seven things that you can do to bring this to a different resolve. Okay? Here they are. Number one. Acknowledge that there are bigger issues at play. If it's about trust, 
You should be talking about trust. If it's about security or an insecurity that you have, you have to have the courage to say, that's what this is about. The problem that we're arguing about is no longer the problem. This is the problem. And when that's on the table, when it's about respect, when it's about something else, both of you can understand the stakes that are at play. But sometimes you keep having to fight about the garbage when it was really about trust, and you've never said it was about trust. And so they don't understand why you're so upset about the garbage, and they're just asking you to just chill out. And you can't, because it's bigger than that. Say, it's bigger than that. Two, find out and accept where the differences are. There's a reason that you both see this differently. Why don't you have a conversation about why you see it differently? What you'll discover many times in these perpetual conversations is that something has shaped your view of the world that's different than theirs. And at, at least what you could do for each other, two people who love and care for each other, was you could accept that they were shaped differently than you were. You could start there. I understand how you were shaped to get you here. I understand that God put this in your DNA at some level when it's your personality. I understand that's who you are. And I accept you. I'm not asking you to change that. It's driving me nuts still. I don't like what you're doing. But I accept this difference that the two of us have. Three, adjust a little. Adjust a little. Like Ernie, sell the house or go, go get a different house. Wherever you can adjust, make that adjustment. I told you that Tracy and I had found adjustments with our time thing. There are certain times she's on my time. There's other times I'm on her time. And we found ways to adjust a little. It didn't change me. It didn't change her. But we found where we could adjust. Four, graciously accept the difference. We're back to God's idea of how you would have this conversation. I watch this with families who do this with their kids. Watch this in marriages. Like the place that God places you where you should get the most sense of security, the most sense of love, the most sense of reinforcement. Often we have the least generous responses to those people, and it makes no sense. What God's asking you to do is to understand this other person and then generously accept that difference in them. You've accepted where it came from, but accept them and find a way to communicate your acceptance of them. By the way, some people never do this, and one person in the relationship feels like they're broken all the time and that they can never make that other person satisfied, and the relationship is always on the rocks for it. Why? Because one didn't generously look at the other and say, despite the fact that you don't want to do what I want to do, I still accept you and love you. Five, don't allow it to gridlock the relationship. This was a huge 
This was a huge deal that happened in our relationship when we finally got there with Tracy and I. When I finally understood that some of our differences were about the fact that God had really made us different. That he had created and designed this this way. When I finally accepted that, then the choice was, do I want this difference to lock up our whole relationship for the rest of the time we're together? Is that what I want it to be about? Or do I want to find a way to minimize this? It's not going to go away, but I don't want my whole relationship to be this argument locked up in this. You know what happens when you go into gridlock? When that argument is something that you can't forgive, you can't let go, you won't back down from, you won't accept in this other person. What happens is the other 30% of solvable stuff that you could get rid of out of the relationship, you start seeing that through the gridlock, and it just is a reinforcement. It, it was the trash. They just forgot it once, but they forgot it once, and now you're like, oh, that's just another example of disrespect. That's just another example of how I can't trust you. And all of a sudden, this gridlock that you found yourself in starts defining your whole relationship. We're going to disagree on this. But it will not shape us. Let's take a step back. Let's let this difference be what it is. Let's get back on the same page and figure out where we can keep moving with each other. Don't let it become gridlock. Number six, this is really important. Don't excuse bad behavior as perpetual. What sin does is often changes some of the stuff that God designed in us. So you have a personality, that's great. Sometimes you have a weakness because of your personality. Don't excuse it. You could do something about that. Your, your perpetual problem is not that you're mean, then that God created you to be mean and sarcastic. Stop it, right? Don't excuse it and just say, ah, it's perpetual. G get honest with the stuff that you could adjust and make the adjustment. And the last one, the 30% that you can solve, that you could make light of and, and joke about later, you should do that and get them out of your relationship because here's what, here's what marriage researchers have found. If you decide to enter gridlock, then the 30% that you could get out of your relationship that won't cause a problem, you'll invite those in and you'll hold on to those long enough that you'll turn that into a perpetual problem. And instead of unloading any of the junk out the backside, you keep it all. And you end up harming each other over and over again on stuff you could have gotten rid of. Here's the bottom line. You were made by God with incredible differences than the person that you're going to end up with. God did that by design, on purpose. And those those differences create opportunities in your life to either leave scars with each other or there are a greater opportunity to, for you to pour out grace into that other person's life and you get to choose. You get to choose if you're going to understand their backstory, what God was doing and what God did in their family and who God made them to be. 
so that you could be a part of get to do that become the person God always intended them to be in the first place. You get to do that. Or you could be the voice that tells them that they're inadequate, that they're not good enough, that they're less than. The closest person to them, the person that they're in love with, you could communicate all of that to them during winter and you could frost your relationship. In fact, you can damage it so bad that it becomes unrepairable. It's the choice that you get to make. To either talk it out or to act it out. See, there's only one other. I, I hate even mentioning it. There's another choice. You could decide to have a meaningless marriage. Just be together out of convenience. Doesn't really mean anything. There's no unity. There's no oneness. There's never intended to be. You're not pursuing that. You don't care about that. It's just convenient. But the second you want more than that, the second you want something that has deep meaning, that's closer to God's view of unity and oneness, then you've got to start finding a way to step into your winter moments and coming out with a different solution other than ice between you. Or you will have a long, hard life together. Let me pray with you. God, I'm, um, I'm grateful that what you did was that you created uniqueness in us. It is your design. At our inmost being, in the womb, you had an idea for us. And it had a lot of components in it. And we rub up against somebody, we get close to somebody who's different than us, and the fireworks start. And we're not really sure how to deal with it. God, I ask that you would help us to be honest that some of the things that we're wrestling with, they're not perpetual. They're just bad. They're bad choices, bad habits, and they need to stop. But some of them are differences that you programmed us with. I mean, we, we are just different people. And your idea was that was good. So I asked you to help us to turn to each other and to figure this stuff out. So instead of ending up in gridlock, we can experience the unity and oneness that you always intended. God, it's true. Winter's coming. It's coming because we're different. But I ask that we would hold on to you understand that you're in the middle of all of these differences. That we could respect that and that we could have a different outcome. God, we need your help in doing that. And we ask for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could please stand and sing with us. We want to teach you a new song in response to all that Blair has talked about. It's called This We Know. So we're going to sing through the chorus and then we'll do the song. This we know, we will see the enemy run. This we know, we will 